This is the TSN MMA Show with Aaron Bronstetter and Bazooka Joe Valtellini. Curtis Blade seeks redemption while Francis Ngannou looks to end his two-fight losing streak. Chuck and Tito together again. It's Chuck and Tito 3 this weekend. Will you watch? I'm intrigued enough to check it out. Why not? This is the TSN MMA Show. Aaron Bronstetter here. No Joe Valtellini today. Thanks for those listening live on TSN Radio in Toronto and Ottawa. And to, to those who uh, listen to the podcast, please subscribe, tell your friends to subscribe, rate the show on iTunes. We appreciate all that good stuff. So the UFC is in Beijing, China. Are you going to wake up at 3 a.m. and watch Fight Pass? I will be. Because I love this stuff. Not that you don't love it if you watch it back. You know, you, you might just not be as committed as I am. Of course, I do this for a living, so I, you know, I'm not trying to put anybody down if they're not willing to wake up at 3 a.m. And I also have a newborn, so I'm up at 3 a.m. Uh, at the best of times anyways. So at 3 a.m., myself and my newborn will be watching Luis Smolka versus uh, Sumerdarji. Sumerdarji. And I did not pronounce that right for sure. I have watched some of his fights, though. He's, he's a good fighter. But uh, the big fight, obviously, Curtis Blades versus Francis Ngannou. And I've got a piece up on tsn.ca about uh, Curtis Blades and uh, how things have changed for him from this fight to the rematch, which is happening this weekend. The first fight, obviously, Blades lost. Uh, Dr. Stoppage, end of the second round. But if you go back and watch that, and you watch the last fight that Blades had, the amount of improvement is, I mean, it's unbelievable. Just goes to show what happens when you join a a legitimate fight camp. I mean, he was fighting, people don't know this, he was at a UFC gym in Chicago. And when I say UFC gym, it may as well be a member of Good Good Life Fitness. I mean, these are recreational gyms where they give you kind of UFC-style training. He was sparring with featherweights and, you know, welterweights, and he was, he's a huge man. He was 290, 300 pounds at that time. And, and he was training once or twice a week. We're not talking two-a-days like a lot of these guys do, once or twice a week. His background was uh, junior college wrestling national champion, and he um, ended up beating... Uh, sorry, he ended up getting to the UFC undefeated, amateur and professional, Strictly on wrestling acumen, that's all. And he was the favorite against Nagano in the first fight. People don't realize that. Took the fight on short notice over in Croatia. Sat in the middle seat in economy for a 12-hour flight. Probably hated every second of it. But uh, ends up fighting Francis Nagano. And the crazy thing you also read about in my, uh, in my column is that his corner for that fight was his manager. His manager's friend, who knew nothing about martial arts but just paid his own way to come and check it out, and uh, another heavyweight fighter who was a friend of his, who I think has a 2-2 two and two professional record now. Didn't have a lot to work with. And the guy was basically flown in by his agent just to be a big body for him to train with during fight week. So his corner advice against Francis was, uh, shall we say, not the best it could have been. Whereas Francis, I mean, his upward trajectory since that fight was crazy too. He didn't lose until he got the championship fight against Stipe Miocic. And now, uh, since then, has lost a, a fight to uh, Derek Lewis, one of the most boring fights in MMA history, in terms of what people thought it would deliver, and we got a lot of uh, a lot of good fights on this uh, card in China, uh, namely the co-main event. Now the training partner and uh, previous opponent of Curtis Blades, Alistair Overeem, who has suffered two of the most vicious knockouts, maybe in UFC history, on back-to-back fights in his losses to Francis and to Curtis Blades. He takes on Sergey Pavlovich, newcomer. I believe he's an M1 champion. I like Overeem. I mean, if Overeem can keep this fight at the distance he likes, make it a pretty, you know, good striking fight, maybe even try to, to you know, utilize some of the wrestling that I'm sure he's learning from Curtis Blades, it's going to be a good fight. 
Like, I think he has a good shot of beating Sergei Pavlovich. I mean, ha- debuting against Alistair Overeem is not a cakewalk. It's not exactly what you're, uh, what you're looking for for a, a welcome to the UFC moment. And we've seen a lot of guys where they, they do really well in outside organizations, but they're given a really steep test in their first fight. I think Ray Borg fought. Uh, who did Ray Borg fight in his first fight? I feel like he lost. I can't remember if he won or lost that fight. I know he fought Scoggins. I don't know if that was his first fight, though. Yes, first fight was against Dustin Ortiz. Ray Borg against Dustin Ortiz. So he's 6-0 and on the, uh, the regional scene. Comes into the UFC and gets a guy like Dustin Ortiz, loses a split decision. And I mean, that's, that's just a, a really steep jump in competition. So if you look at a guy like Sergey Pavlovich, I mean, we're talking about a guy who has good wins. I mean, looking at his resume and what he was able to accomplish um, over in Fight Nights Global. Sorry, it wasn't M1. It was Fight Nights Global. He's beating good guys. He's beating guys with 11-4, and 9-1 and one records. Guys that are good, undefeated guys. Um, but uh, now you step up to a guy like Alistair Overeem, and uh, who knows? Who knows? There's a steep hill to climb. And he's the favorite in that fight, too, Pavlovich. Song Yadong is back. If you're not familiar with Song Yadong, go back and watch the, uh, the last two fights in, uh, well, not in Asia, but the last one in Singapore. That was uh, earlier this year against Felipe Aranchas. And against uh, Barat Kandari, his first fight in, uh, in China. This guy's an electric fighter. Finished both of those fights. Apparently, uh, he's very, very well, uh, well thought of in, in terms of the UFC offices. They, they, they're really high on Song Yudong, who was supposed to face uh, Frankie Science, instead gets uh, Vince Morales on short notice. And of course, the leech is back in action, poking eyes. If you remember his last fight. Against Jake Matthews, just rammed his thumb into the eye of Jake Matthews. It did not look look very good, but Jake Matthews came away with a win, and he'll face uh, David Zawada, who uh, looked really good in his debut against um, Danny Roberts earlier this year. Fight of the night, lost the decision, but uh, was a huge underdog in that fight, and uh, put up a very competitive fight. Really uh, gave uh, Danny Roberts a tough night at the office. And, of course, Li Jinglang, I think, is probably safe to say that he's the best fighter, Chinese fighter in UFC history, given his resume. Doesn't really have the best wins under his belt. Like, uh, who's the best guy he's beaten? If you look at his resume, it might be Daichi Abei, who he beat in his last fight. But, uh, I mean, he lost to Nordin Taleb. Went over Diego Lima, who I think is like 1-6 in, in the UFC. His, uh, his previous his upcoming opponent, Chad Lapiz, joins us in the studio recently. Very good conversation if you haven't heard that one. Frank Camacho is a good win. And Zach Otto is a pretty good win, too. But in terms of the, when he's facing tougher-level competition, he's, he's been losing. Of course, David Zawada, I don't think, fits that category necessarily. And Song Kanan, also in action. He was also on the same card as Song Yadong earlier uh, on both of those two cards that uh, they, they've competed on. Same card together. He actually came off of a loss and joined the UFC and has won two in a row. Knocked out Bobby Nash in 15 seconds as a big underdog in his debut in China. Not an easy task. And then came back, beat Hector Aldana in his last fight. Hector just fought this past weekend. So uh, he's, he's, he's someone to watch. He looks, he looks good. Facing Alex Morono. And then there's a female fighter that uh, a lot of people are very high on, and that's uh, Yan Shanan. He's fighting uh, Sayuri Kondo, so keep your eye on her as well. It's, it's one of these, you know, right now the UFC has announced that they've built this big performance institute in China. 
And if you remember, they did the Ultimate Fighter in China years ago. And there's not a single person, if, I, if I'm not mistaken. I think Yi Jianling might have. I don't think he was on that. But I, as far as I can recall, there's not a single fighter from that show that's still in the UFC. The guys that won it and, uh, and the runner-up, they stayed stuck around for a while, but they kept losing. So they did not have a lot of success in bringing fighters over from China. It's a whole new ballgame now. If you look at this card, you've got uh, one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, eight fighters from China competing. It's pretty un- unprecedented for the UFC. And a lot of them are favored in these fights. Like, these are some talented guys, talented fighters, talented athletes. So I'm, I'm interested to see how uh, the main event plays out. Most importantly, Francis Ngannou versus Curtis Blades. I think the Blades uh, can really beat Francis anywhere that this fight goes, whether it's on the feet. I'm sure he won't have a, a great advantage on the feet. I mean, Francis's bread and butter is striking, uh, especially power striking. But in terms of, uh, from a technical standpoint, I think Blades might have an advantage in the striking game as well. Wrestling, it's uh, a no-brainer. I mean, Curtis has, the Curtis that fought Blades the first time, would, sorry, that fought uh, Francis the first time would have a, a wrestling advantage over Francis. But this Curtis Blades has a real, a real advantage over uh, Francis because now he knows how to grapple on top of just wrestling. So, I think Blades gets this done, and I think that Francis uh, moves to three losses in a row. I think the Blades is going to stop him in the distance and uh, and make a big statement here. But, uh, I mean, last year everybody was high on Francis. Dana White told me that he thought Francis was going to be the biggest star in the UFC. And I think a lot of people agreed with him at the time. I know we did our end-of-year show and uh, talked to... Uh, a round table of journalists, and most of them had Francis being the champion at the end of this year. Instead, he goes 0-2, losing to Derek Lewis and, uh, and to Stipe. And now he's gonna, he might lose again to Curtis Blades, lose his third fight of the year. Whereas Blades, who win his third, his third fight of the year against Mark Hunt, Overeem, and Francis Ngannou. Now, if that doesn't get you a title shot, I don't know what will. But uh, Curtis Blades is, uh, is certainly an up-and-comer, and it's great to see a guy 27 years of age, a young fighter in the heavyweight division coming up. 10-1-1 as a professional, undefeated as an amateur. His only loss to Francis back in April of 2016, about two and a half years ago. And the amount that he's improved since then is, uh, is pretty apparent. Francis, too. Francis has improved. I don't want to take anything away from Francis. Francis earned his way to, to getting a title shot. But that Francis that we saw get that title shot is not the Francis we saw fight Derek Lewis. Look tentative was barely throwing anything, was changing stances to stances we've never seen him use before. Looked like he was just overthinking every facet of that fight. So let's see what he does against Blades. I mean, he can't come flying out the gates throwing heavy strikes because Blades will take him down. I'm looking forward to this card. It's nice to have Kevin Holland on the card as well. He's coming off a loss to um, Tiago Santos in his debut. Kind of threw him to the Sharks. Again, another one of the situations, like I mentioned earlier, a guy who looks really good on the regional scene, you give him a, a really steep testing competition, and he, he can't get it done. But I think against John Phillips, the white Mike Tyson, as they call him, Holland does a very good shot. So that'll be fun to watch. I'm looking forward to that. Um, I think that uh, it's a really, really interesting card because you'll get to see a lot of talent that uh, will be coming up. Now, the, qu- the question that I have, though, is, you know, I've listened to some podcasts where, they're again, they talk about Yan Shannon potentially being a future champion. And uh, 
You know, some people think that Song Yedong can compete as well. But with these fighters, they're just going to keep putting them in fights in China or in Asia, other parts of Asia, in that region. So if that's the case, how are they ever going to get recognized? And how are they ever going to graduate to fighting on pay-per-views you know, while they're still young so that they can get into title contention? And you're not going to get a title shot by beating Vince Morales or by beating Sayuri Kondo. You need to fight really good competition. And I don't know how they can make that happen with these guys and men and women both fighting in their home country. I understand why they're fighting in China. Believe me. I mean, you don't need to explain that to me, why they're fighting at the Cadillac Arena in Beijing, China. But I just don't know how you're going to propel their careers. Because it's just such a regional thing right now. You don't really see a lot of Chinese fighters fight outside of, of that market. So that's, uh, that's what I think remains to be seen, is how, how much of a ceiling do they have? When are they going to be fighting really high, legit competition? And how far can they realistically get when they're only fighting in that region for a certain amount of time? Eventually, they're going to have to cross over and, and fight at bigger events. But, uh, you know, they don't hold pay-per-views in Asia. The time difference doesn't is not conducive. I mean, if they started uh, the fights... It would start at, like, whatever, 3 a.m., 4 a.m. for Fight Pass on a pay-per-view card. Pay-per-view would start, you know, really early in the morning. You just couldn't, couldn't make it work. So that's what I think is the, the big uphill battle for a lot of these, a lot of these athletes from, uh, from that region. Last, uh, last week's fight card uh, in Argentina was, uh, it was a little slow-moving. But I thought that the uh, the main event was really good, Ponzinibbio and Magni. The Lamas and Elkins fight was pretty good. Johnny Walker making a name for himself. Minute, uh, knockout two minutes into the fight against uh, Khalil Roundtree. Ian Heinish puts himself on the map. He, he's an example of a guy that, that was able to get it done as a guy who was fighting really well in the regional scene and came into the UFC against a, a veteran like uh, like Mutanch Cezar Faheha. And, of course, the uh, return of Cynthia Calvillo. She missed weight but uh, had a first-round win. We had her on the show last week, um, and uh, she she looked fantastic. I mean, she has not she has never looked better. She was an underdog in that fight and really dominated that fight. So good on her. And then you look at a guy like Humberto Bandanai from Peru. Beats Martin Bravo in 25 seconds with a knee in his first fight, and then since then loses to Gabriel Benitez in, in uh, 39 seconds and uh, gets outclassed by Austin Arnett. Arnett was uh, riding a three-fight losing streak going into that fight. So, I, I mean, I don't know if you keep this guy around. He just uh, he just did not look good in that fight. The Pantoja versus Ulka Sasaki fight was fun while well, it lasted for that two minutes and 18 seconds. It was just way higher level. If you watched the other fights on that card leading up to that fight, and then you watch that fight, it's like, okay, well, these guys... You can tell are are at the top of their division. Like they, Pantoja just puts on a show. Some you know when he's when he's on. I don't know why Sasaki went to the ground with him. Sasaki looked like he was having success on the feet, but that's neither here nor there. As uh, he is probably done in the UFC because that division is probably done in the UFC, and uh, Pantoja will probably move up to bantamweight if he wants to stick around. Bellator actually had a decent uh, card uh, last week in Tel Aviv, but it aired like. 
like 36 hours after it happened. I don't know how in this day and age you can do that. You have a deal with a streaming service, with The Zone. Show it live. Show it live on The Zone. What are you doing? You have a, you have Pitbull, like one of the biggest stars in your in your company, Patricio Pitbull, is headlining the event. It ends up being a great main event also against Emmanuel Sanchez. And nobody can see it live. I, I don't know. I just don't get it. And then Vadim Nemkov and Phil Davis, two of your bigger stars in the at light heavyweight fight also. It was a good card. It's worth watching. But people are very, you know, turned off by watching sports on tape delays. It's just not the format where people are used to sports. We want our sports live. So um, it's uh, very weird to see that in this day and age. And then, of course, this weekend on Saturday night, we've got Tito versus Chuck, number three. All right. The premiere of Golden Boy MMA. Huh. Did you watch that press conference? Because if you did, I, I, I dare you to, to try to name a more uninspiring press conference in the history of MMA than that one. It was awful. Oscar De La Hoya looked like he wanted to take a nap. Couldn't name anybody from the undercard until he had their name in front of him. I interviewed Oscar and asked him who was on the broadcast team, and he had no clue. Like, if you're going to promote this event, learn about the fighters. If they did Zufa boxing, you can bet that Dana White is going to know everything about the guys on the card, at least at the top of the card. I mean, I don't know about, you know, if they have a 10-fight card, he's not going to know about fights, you know, 7, 8, 9, 10. But they'll at least know about who's fighting on this card. There are some decent names on this card in the, uh, in the undercard of this event. People you'll have heard of. That, like Albert Morales, Tom Galicchio of, uh, of tough fame. Well, the Gazelle Watson, former UFC fighter. Efren Escadero, Gleason Tebow. These are decent names. Tom Lawler, Darren Wynn, who's uh, one of Daniel Cormier's coaches. And then, of course, there's Chuck and Tito. 18-fight card. Unbelievable. I might watch it. Honestly, I'd be interested to see what, you know, a 40, almost 49-year-old Chuck Liddell can still do just from a human standpoint to see what a guy that age is able to still do. Tito's not exactly a spring chicken either. You know, I think it would also be fun to see Tito get a win over Chuck, just to see how, how he reacts. It's really the one thing that he has left to do in his MMA career. And if Chuck beats him, now we're talking. Maybe you can do another card with, with Chuck at the top, or Bellator can bring him in. And I mean, listen, people are sending me messages saying, yeah, I interviewed Chuck, and they said, well, how can you talk to the guy? He's punch drunk. Like, how, how do you feel comfortable talking to him? I go, watch interviews with him 10, 15 years ago. He sounded the same. I don't think it's a matter of being punch drunk. He's just not the most compelling interview. Of course, we did see Liddell get pretty much flatlined in his last three UFC fights, you know, eight to ten years ago. If you if you look at all three, and it was it's uncomfortable. It's uncomfortable to know that he's he's going to try to make a comeback at this age, because I don't think chins heal that that well. Not that Tito's the heaviest hitter, but I don't know. It is a little bit unsettling, but I might I might watch it. I might I might watch it just out of general intrigue. Starts at nine p.m. I really hope that that's like the the last four fights start at nine p.m. Because if it's like a seventeen fight card that starts at nine p.m., we're going to be there all night. That can't be what it is.
God, I hope that's not what it is. But I, I don't know. I don't know how much thought has gone into this whole thing, to be honest. But yeah, I'm, I'm interested. I'll watch. I'll watch just about anything if if it's uh, if it's fighters that I know of and are intriguing. I know of a lot of people that don't want to watch it, and that's fine too. You don't have to watch it. Just a little uncomfortable. Sure. I'll give you that. But I interviewed, uh, you can go to tsn.ca slash UFC, and you can see some interviews that I did with uh, Chuck, Tito, and Oscar De La Hoya. Tito says that if him and Chuck only draw 200,000 pay-per-view buys, they shouldn't be in the business. And I'm thinking, 200,000? Whew. That's, you know, that's a pretty high number. There hasn't been a single promotion outside of the UFC that has done close to 200,000. I mean, the WEC that was under Zufa's umbrella did 175,000, which was considered a huge win for them at the time. There's not not a shot that this does 200,000, is there? I mean, do people care? I mean, Chuck and Tito, too, back in the day when they were in their prime and they had momentum, I think people cared. I think at at this point, people just think of this almost as an exhibition. But, uh, you know, I wish them well. I hope it does do well. I want to see people get paid and MMA fighters get their just due. For sure. So... You know, we'll see what happens. And then next week, you got two fight cards from the UFC. You got the Ultimate Fighter finale, which takes place on the Friday at the Pearl of the, Pearl of the Palms, which is a great venue. If, you, uh, if you're ever going to go and watch live MMA, don't look at who's on the card. Look at where the card is. Because getting to watch things at the, at the Pearl or at a really small venue in like a smaller city, nothing like it. It's way better than watching it you know, in a really big arena if you don't have good seats. I love the atmosphere of the, the venues that hold five, 6,000 people. Really exceptional. And the Pearl is a great venue for that, for that reason. Their Wi-Fi is not very good, but it's a good venue. And then uh, the next day you got uh, Dos Santos versus Tuivasa in Adelaide, uh, Australia. Mark Hunt on the card as well. Tyson Pedro on the card. Jake Matthews, Paul Craig on the card. Actually, Paul Craig's from Scotland, so I'll correct it myself and say Jim Crute on the card as opponent, Australian. The debut of uh, Suman Mokhtarian. So, uh, there's a, that's a solid card. Solid card. And then, of course, I think uh, the even bigger fight is at the finale. You got uh, Rafael Dos Anjos versus Kamaru Usman. That's a great fight. Ooh, ooh. I'll be talking to Kamaru on uh, next week's show. You're going to want to tune in for that. My guest this week is uh, someone who's uh, been on the show before. He's joined me in studio in the past. Someone whose opinion I respect greatly. He knows the game inside and out. And I mean, if your last name is Zahabi, it's not a surprise that uh, you know a lot uh, about mixed martial arts. Uh, One of the iconic last names in terms of mixed martial arts, especially in this country. So I'd like to welcome to the show... For the third time, Eamon Zahabi joins the TSN MMA show. Ladies and gentlemen, it's time to introduce this week's guest. It's always great catching up with Eamon Zahabi. It's been a while since I've had you on. You were in studio here with us last time, but it's, uh, it's great catching up with you. Um, how's everything going? Everything's going great, man. It's a pleasure to be back on. Well, thanks for doing this. And I know that a lot has been happening in your life. You recently got your black belt and, more importantly, a set of twins. Two, two girls that are almost five months old, right? Yeah, five months old, but uh, luckily they've been sleeping the 10-hour nights. 
Yeah, you're gonna have to teach me that. We're gonna, you, you mentioned the book. I'm gonna write this book down and uh, and try to get yeah. my wife to read it. If if either of us can stay awake long enough to read a book. <laughs> exactly. Listen, you're gonna start going nuts if you don't get your shut eye. That's for sure. Yeah, I hear you. That happened with the last one. Both of us, uh, <laughs> both of us were sacrificing sleep, and both of us were going crazy. So hopefully, it doesn't happen this time around. Um, yeah. So right now, um, you don't have anything lined up. I know you're looking to to get a fight and get back in there. But what's it like? Uh, what's it been like sitting out this year? I mean, I know you've had. Um, the girls to take care of and all of that, but have you wanted to get in there this year? Yeah, I was really hoping to get in on the on the Calgary card or on the Moncton card or on the Toronto card. I was hoping to come back on the Canadian Canadian show, but uh, things didn't work out. You know, like my daughters were born in July, so I can't. Uh, they actually ended up calling me like four or five weeks before the Calgary card. I had to turn it down because it was like going to be too much with them just being born. So whatever, I missed out that opportunity, and then, uh, I didn't get another one yet. But hopefully, I'll get one for January or February. I'm really looking to get in there. But I've been working hard, really working on my grappling. Yeah, I've been. Uh, <laughs> I've been working hard going to New York City, training with John Danaher, the, the death squad. Yeah. Well, so you're gonna train with anybody for BJJ. That's who you wanna train with. Yeah, these are the best guys. So I've been improving my game. So the next time, if I take somebody down, I'll be able to finish it. So um, when you turn down a fight. Do you get punished yeah. for that? Do they? Do they even if you have a good excuse? Do they look past you in the future? No, we told Sean Shelby that I just had twins, and he totally understood. <laughs> he said the uh, twins is hard, so uh, you know if it was just one kid, I think maybe I would have done it. But two kids, it was a lot of work for my wife, so I didn't want to leave her hanging. That's very smart of you. Yeah. Good priorities. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, Sean Shelby is a. Like, I think he understands that you know we have our own lives too. You know. Absolutely. It's not, well, e- it's not easy. Uh, right now with TriStar, it seems like you guys have been bit by the injury bug. Uh, Joseph Duffy had to pull out recently. Um, so did Mirsad Bektik. So did Arnold Allen. Yeah. What's going on? Well, Duffy wasn't here. Duffy was in the, the UK. Oh, he was. Okay, so, I didn't know that. Yeah, so I don't know. I wasn't there. I didn't see how his injury, how his injury happened. But, uh, yeah, Arnold and uh, Mirsad both got uh, injured here. You know, it's a freak accident. Sometimes it just happens, you know. And sometimes when it rains, it's, it, it really falls. And hopefully, you know, Olivier Bain is going to stay healthy till the fight. <laughs> And Elias. Yeah, put him in a uh, put him in a box or something. Keep, yeah, keep I think him. we're gonna just cancel all the rest of the training. And then we we'll <laughs> also have uh, what's his name coming up? Uh, Kyle. He just fought Zabit, uh, and uh, he's training with us now. He's healthy still. So. Oh, cool. Oh, Kyle Bokniak's down there with you guys. That's cool. Um, yeah, when Kyle, did that? He's actually, a really nice guy. I like him a lot. He's doing really well. When did he move over there? Um, a couple of weeks ago, he came over for his first full week, and then now he's back for another week. And I think Frost is going to be in his corner this time, too. I'm not 100% sure on it, but I think so. Oh, that's great. Yeah, that would be good for him. That fight with Zabit was fantastic. Oh, he's amazing. Yeah, he's a very hard worker. And I think, you know, with a good set of sparring partners and stuff, he's really going to go far. I think he's just going to give him that extra edge because he's got a lot of talent already. What made Joe decide to go back to the UK? I know you're pretty close with him. Well, uh, he went there because uh, he wanted to uh, get acclimatized to Australia. So he went there to see his family and whatever. And from there, he was going to go to Australia and do the rest of his camp. He wasn't really going to stay in the UK for long. And uh, Tom Breeze was going to corner him. So Tom Breeze was going to go with him to Australia. So he wanted to go to the UK to you know see Tom Breeze first and whatever and see how they're going to work together. And then from there, both of them were going to go to Australia. Uh, so yeah, that's why he went there. And Tom Breeze had to pull out also. Yeah, but yeah, he got injured in the UK though. It wasn't us again. Yeah, it wasn't you guys. <laughs> yeah, I, 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 I thought I had heard Breeze wasn't training with you guys much anymore. Yeah, it's hard for him. Uh, you know, he's uh, I think starting a family of his too. You know, he's married. He's having a baby soon. Yeah, he's a talented guy. I remember a couple of years ago, I, Faraz was here with Rory. 
Uh, this was when Rory yeah. was still in the UFC, and I said, you know, who are some guys that are coming up right now? Tries there's like Tom Breeze is the real deal. Oh yeah, he's gonna go very far, man. And, uh, you see, in his last fight, he really uh, made a big jump, and uh, hopefully, his next his next outing, he'll look even better. It looks like the bantamweight division is going to get a bit busier. Uh, the flyweight division apparently is getting dissolved. I don't know if you've heard that definitively. But, yeah, uh, no, I haven't heard it definitively, but I see the stuff on Twitter and everyone talking about it. The Dillashaw fight is a deciding factor, I think, or something? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. So it looks like that's what they're saying. And I think, I mean, you're in the bantamweight division. Yeah. Four guys have fought for the title in the last, I think, two, two and a half years. It's just been, it's been Uriah, it's been Cody Garbrandt, it's been Dominic Cruz and it's been TJ. Those are the only four. The division's yeah. been kind of stagnant, and now they're doing the fight with TJ at flyweight. That doesn't sit right with me. Yeah, I know. I hear what you're saying. Uh, listen, I, they're, I know. They're all just trying to make the money, right? Even the UFC's trying to cash in. They're trying to make their money back for buying the thing. I don't know. I don't know what it is. But there are definitely some guys who deserve for, to fight for the belt. Like, Asan is doing great. Marlon Marais is doing great. Uh, so many of those top guys are doing just fantastic. You know, it'd be nice to see them win some belts. You know, every other weight class has interim titles, but the bantamweight doesn't get any. It's weird. Yeah, it's weird to me that they're doing it at flyweight. I mean, what does TJ, I mean, I mean, TJ can say I was a former flyweight champion, but what, for a day? I mean, if the, the division's going to get dissolved, what's the point of doing that when, to me, if you move Henry up to bantamweight, you say, this guy was a champ at flyweight, we're getting rid of the division, we're going to let him have a shot at bantamweight to see what he's made of. That makes sense to yeah. me. Yeah, it makes a lot more sense to me, too. But, uh, you know, I'm not the one who crunches the numbers. I don't know why they're making it this way. Maybe it's just to, if TJ wins, they have a, a good reason to dissolve it. I have no idea. Like, I don't know how they're thinking. But, uh, yeah, I would love to see TJ versus, you know, I don't know, Mar- Marlon Marais or whoever else that's in the bantamweight division. See what can happen with these guys who've earned it, you know? Well, what happens if, like, what happens if TJ loses to Cejudo then? Do you think Cejudo just moves up and gets a title shot and now you've got the, the division waiting even longer? Well, don't they have to fight again for the bantamweight? It's weird. It's weird. It makes no sense. Because if TJ loses, how's he going to fight? Who's he going to fight for the title at bantamweight? You know, it's weird. Probably Cejudo. <laughs> You'd have to guess. Yeah, depending on how Cejudo wins. He's going to fight two times in a row. It's so weird. It's so weird. And you know with MMA with those four ounce gloves, anybody's got a chance. Yeah, Henry. Henry's striking's looked a lot better, and of course, with his wrestling, not to take anything away from TJ, but we're talking about Olympic gold medalist wrestling. Yeah, it's yeah. really anyone's fight to win. I mean, I know TJ's about a two to one favorite, but who knows? Yeah, the odds don't really mean much. You know, it's what's going to happen in the cage. Like, listen, in one knee or one elbow, and the fight's over for anybody. You know, I don't know. It'd be very weird if TJ loses, and then. He's not uh, the chat, then uh, the guy's not the flyweight, the bantamweight champ, and then there's no bantamweight champ really. Everyone's gonna look down on. Well, he TJ. he would be the bantamweight. He'd still be the bantamweight champ if he lost. Yeah, I know. TJ would be. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, which would be would look really bad for all the bantamweights that he lost the 125. Yeah, absolutely. That's why again, I don't think this fight makes any sense. Yeah, because then how's he gonna sell out pay-per-views at 135 as a champ? After losing to the guy at 125, that's my point. It's like, that's why I find it weird they're fighting at that weight. Yeah, and then they, I think you have to give Cejudo a shot at the bantamweight title right away if he beats him as well. So now you've kind of wasted a flyweight fight for no reason if the division's going away. Yeah, and then if what if TJ wins the second one, then it looks even more messed up. Then they got to do a rubber match. Maybe actually, maybe it's good business. They're going to get three fights out of it. But then all the other guys are going to suffer. All the other bantamweight guys are going to suffer waiting around for that belt. Well, that's the part that sits, doesn't sit well with me, is that Marlon Moraes has looked great. As you mentioned, the Sun Sao actually has a win over Marlon Moraes. Uh, Dominic Cruz is former champion, a legend in the, in the division, and now none of these people are going to um, get a shot at the belt for the foreseeable future. It could, even, could be as long as a year. Yeah. Wait, how long has it been since TJ fought? He hasn't fought since 
November last year, right? No, no. TJ fought. Uh, he beat Cody in the rematch in July, in August. Oh, August, yeah, rather. Sorry, sorry. Yeah, that's right. Sorry, my bad. Okay, okay. Sorry. I mean, the fight was, was so similar to the first one that it almost feels like it didn't happen. Yeah, that's exactly what I was going to say. It feels like it was the same fight both times. Yeah, this one happened to end in the first round. It looked like TJ was able to just exploit a, a glaring weakness in Cody's game that he saw and was able to do it again. And, you know, I spoke to, yeah. spoke to Justin Buckles, who was the uh, head coach of Alpha Male for the first fight and since has, has left the camp. And he says, I don't know how you don't clean that up, like how the team didn't clean that up and, and see how he lost the first time and f- figure out a way to fix that. Yeah, well... You know, I don't know how uh, Cody trains or whatever or anything like that, so I can't really speak on that from my experience from knowing him and things like that. But uh, if guys don't take the time off, like I don't know how much time he took off uh, after the last fight. You know, maybe he just went right back into training and kept doing the same routine. I don't know. I don't know. But uh, it's good sometimes, you know, when you lose by knockout, take a month off, watch the fight as many times as you can stomach it, and then try to find all the mistakes that happen and take them away. You know, maybe that's what I did. Even that night, I watched my fight maybe 15 times after I got knocked out, same night. And then I kept watching it all week, kept watching it for a month, maybe two months, and then all year I've been sitting taking away the holes I had in my game. Yeah, so what did you notice in that fight? I mean, you, you had won probably the first two rounds. A lot of people felt that way. Um, and then in the third, you kind of got caught. But what, what what do you think led to that? What what was it that you needed to clean up, in your opinion? Or is that something you don't want to share? <laughs> no, no, I don't mind sharing it. You know, I, honestly, like uh, the round one was super close. I don't know if I won it. I'm gonna be honest with you because I thought I, I, I would have won round one for sure, except for uh, right at the end, I gave my back, and I think that's one of the reasons why I dedicated the year to getting my black belt because um, at the end, close to the end of round one. I entered the legs into Ashley and Rami, and uh, I should have went for a heel hook. And I didn't have the confidence in me to just go for the heel hook. Instead, I went, I went to the other side and tried to stand up. And when I went to stand up, he kind of grabbed my waist, and I ended up like with him on my back. I read, I read as the bell uh, rang, you know. And I, I decided, you know what, I'm going to go to New York as often as possible. I've been every month since um, just to get better. So that way, next time I enter a submission, I go for the submission at least to give it my best shot to try to end the fight. Like I thought maybe, you know what, if I had a little bit more confidence in my game, I would have ended the fight in round one. And then there's obviously a couple of things. Like I, I thought overall I won the striking people the elbow, but uh, there's some things I wanted to fix in my striking that, you know, I got hit with some jazz. I thought, like, man, I can't believe I let those go by without reacting, without parrying them or blocking them or flipping them. And uh, the clinch game, Ramon, uh, uh, he got me with like, a good takedown, but it shouldn't have happened. So I've been tightening that up. And when you're in New York, you're prim- primarily just going to Donahue. Are you going to uh, Phil Nurse or anything like that as well? Uh, no, I haven't gone to Phil Nurse. Guy. Like uh, most of my uh, training in New York is with Donahue. Like I really want to focus on my grappling. Like I want to like once we hit the ground, I, I want to be able to end it. You know, and that's the Donahue death squad mentality. And uh, hopefully, like I've really picked it up after this year. I feel like I have. I feel like that's why I got my black belt. <laughs> but uh, we'll see in, in the next fight. Well, the question with Donahue, the thing that I always think about with George is George likes losing in the gym, I think. I feel like George likes going against these, these mountains that are impossible to climb in his mind, losing to them, and then trying to win again and trying to get better and better and better. That It keeps motivating him. Are you the same way? Like, if you're rolling around with, um, um, who, are the big, who are the big names right now at Donahue Death Squad? Like, um, well, there's Gary Tonin. Yeah, Gary Tonin is who I was thinking of. There's uh, a whole bunch of guys that Yeah, so if you're rolling with those guys and they beat you, yeah. I mean, I'm sure that that's something that like, just keeps you more and more motivated. Yeah, but listen, we don't like it. I use it to motivate me even further, you know, for sure. 
I don't definitely don't want it. I don't come home. Like, yes, yes, they beat me up. But it definitely motivates me to go back and, and try to beat them. You know, it, it forces me to get better because nothing gets stale. Like, I have to figure out how these guys are beating me. Like, Nicky Ryan's 17 years old. He's an amazing grappler, you know. And he, my friend Ethan Curveson is much lighter than me. And he still can, you know, get some subs on me and stuff. And it just shows how far... Yeah, it's pretty cool to see. And, yeah. and I, I mean, I don't get a twist. I know George doesn't like losing to uh, in those yeah, exchanges. Yeah. But what I mean is he he is – there are guys that train, and I think that there are uh, – you know, like, you'll get a guy like Francis Naganu, for example. I think a lot of these guys like to train with guys that they could beat, guys that they're better than. Whereas I think George likes it the other way. I think that he likes training with guys that are better than him at certain things so that he can just keep yeah. improving oh, yeah. by, by losing. Maybe that has something to do with our injuries. I don't know. But we always try to put ourselves at a disadvantage in the gym so that when we fight, we have the advantage. You know, and uh, I think that goes a long way to say uh, about our character as a team, you know, and as fighters, you know. And uh, I think we work really hard to round out our games as much as possible. So what's going on with George right now? Is he still in the gym right now thinking about coming back next year? This is his life, man. He doesn't do anything else. Yeah, he still still comes to the gym very often. He's still doing sparring. He's still lifting weights. He's still going to the pool. He's still going to the wrestling club. He still goes to New York. I think he goes to New York twice a month uh, for a few days uh, for a weekend, you know, two weekends a month. So uh, when do you think he'll come back? Do you think the next year is, is on the horizon for him? I mean, I guess it would take the right matchup, but I think Ben Askren coming to the UFC certainly uh, changes things a little bit. And that would be an amazing fight. There's, so many, there's, there's a lot of good fights right now. There's Ben Askren, there's Khabib. Even, uh, I don't know if anybody wants to see him fight Nick Diaz, but I know Nick Diaz would love to fight him. You know, there's a bunch of guys. You know, they can bring him back for a cash money fight, you know, like a big money fight. And uh, if UFC, you know, wants him back, I don't know if they do or not. Like, I don't, I don't know how interested they are in bringing George back, but I'm sure he's still a big ticket. Well, you mentioned them trying to pay off a debt with the uh, that flyweight fight. I think the Georges can help them in that department. Yeah, like if they put them together on a card, that'd be amazing. Or put, even if we put, like, George and McGregor on the same card or George, Khabib, McGregor, all three of them, three different fights, all in the same card, they'd sell so many, they'd sell so many interviews. Oh, 100%. I think the yeah. UFC should do that once a year. I think that they should. I mean, I know International Fight Week used to be like that, but I feel like they, yeah. they should, at the beginning of the year, say, this is the card we're going to be doing this for. We're going to have the biggest names on this one card and really blow it out of the water. Yeah, especially like every year they break a pay-per-view record. That'd be a huge like a fight week. You know, they, they go to Russia or whatever, or wherever they sell pay-per-views and uh, put three, four guys, stack the card up. Man. That'd be huge. And McGregor and George not fighting each other can be really big for pay-per-view sales. Fighting each other would be huge, and not fighting each other would still make a lot of sales. One guy that I uh, I really have enjoyed watching is Mandel Nilo. He had a great win recently against Carrington Banks. Yeah. Uh, he's another guy where I ask people from TriStar, you know, who, who's who's the guy to look out for right now, and then his name comes up. Yeah, of course, man. He's got the two knockout, uh, highlight real knockouts in a row, so it's more than uh, Hopefully they'll call him to fight something, you know, in January or February, and he'll be able to put on another good hi- highlight real knockout. Would he? Um, would they consider putting him uh, as a re- you know maybe a reserve in that tournament? That's a good question. I don't know. I haven't asked him. Yeah, because that would be cool. Well, he's a fifty-five, isn't it? Oh, he's a fifty-five. Sorry, I thought he was seventy yeah, for some reason because Banks had fought at seventy before. Yeah, if they bring a tournament back at one fifty-five, man, I put all my money on it. <laughs> well, he was a big underdog. He was an underdog against Banks, and when I saw that, my eyes burst out of my head. I know Olivier uh, has been talking about uh, the yeah. fact that he bet on him. 
a lot of my friends bet on him. He was like plus 200 or something. I yeah. bet the house on him because you know, even when I was watching the fight, at the end of round one, he got taken down, right, or whatever. And uh, when the fight, the round finished, I, told, I looked over at my wife. I'm like, listen, he's going to knock out the guy in round two within the first two minutes. I'm like, it's hell to take Mandel down. It costs everything you have to take him down. And then, boom, he knocked the guy out in two seconds. I'm like, oh, you see? She's like, how did you know? I'm like, I trained with the guy, man. I know the guy like the back of my head. <laughs> it's just timing. Like, his timing was impeccable on that, on that, uh, in that situation. Yeah, yeah. His timing was impeccable. And just the cost of taking him down. Like, I, people underestimate how hard it is to take him down. Like, I know, I know, you know, he's a striker and everything like that. But not every striker is that hard to take down. You know, like, you'll see, if you ever speak to, like, uh, Francis Carmont, uh, when he would get ready for UFC fights, he would spar with Mandel. And uh, when he had to take guys down, they would use Mandel to, mo- to, to like, really work Francis' takedowns because Francis would have a hell of a time taking him down. And Mandel's much smaller, but he's so flexible, he's so athletic, he's so acrobatic, like, he always finds a way to stay on his feet. And if you do him with taking him down, you're exhausted. And he really pushes the striking pace together and then take him down. It just gets harder and harder as the round goes. Let's go back to when you were 18 years old. It was the last time that Chuck Liddell and Tito Ortiz fought each other. They're fighting each other yeah. this weekend. Any interest? Are you going to watch it? I'm probably not going to watch it. <laughs> <laughs> I think uh, I put my money on Tito. He's been more active. And I don't know about Chuck's chin, man. I don't know. I don't know. The last couple of outings he had, it was a little iffy. And I feel like Tito is taking this very seriously, man. He does not want to lose. And he seems more motivated to me. So you're not going to watch it, though? You're not going to order it? No, no, I'm not gonna order it. Man. If your friend said I, if your friend said I'm ordering it, I want you to come over. You can come watch it with me. What are you saying? I can't. I got a family, man. I'm having people over. <laughs> man. My my cousins have kids. I have kids. I do family stuff on the weekend. <laughs> I wanna, the only thing I really watch, honestly, is like um, you know, big UFC fights or friends of mine who are fighting in the UFC, and then like huge boxing fights. You know, big like you know, Golovkin, Canelo, those I'll fight. You know, I'll watch those. I like Terence Crawford. You know, some big names. I'll, I'll watch them. You know, but if not, I'm gonna spend time with my family. So you're not going to be sitting through the 18 fight card this weekend of uh, Chuck and Tito. 18 fights. Yeah, 18 fights. Not bad, right? Yeah. If you think of it as like a buck a fight, you're good. Yeah, it's not bad. You want the money, I guess. <laughs> so um, we have that, and then there's the UFC in China. I don't know if you're waking up at 3 a.m. If you're up with if you're up with the girls, you know, at 3 a.m. you can chuck that on on uh, on Fight Pass. There's no way I'm waking up with the girls at that time. They're sleeping all night, but um, I'm probably watching like on a replay on Fight Pass. Well, that's for sure. Yeah, I, I, I want to see what Ngannou is going to do, you know, because people have been talking in mad trash about him, you know, like the guy had one bad performance and then everyone's throwing him under the bus, you know what I mean? It's, it's going to happen. It's, uh, you know, the difference between fighting and the difference between a lot of other sports is we only get a few fights a year. You know, if you make one mistake in one fight and then you're, you're not fighting for six, seven months, you really hear it from people for a long time, whereas other sports, you know, you fight, you have a game every two days or every three days or once a week or something like that, so you get to redeem yourself quickly. So I wonder uh, how his mentality is going to be during the fight. Uh, certainly not a bounce-back spot against Curtis Blades. No, 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 but uh, that's why it's going to be even harder, you know. For sure. See how he's gonna he's gonna be, is he going to come back vicious or is he going to come back careful and calculated like with Darius, uh, Derek Lewis? You know, uh, we'll see. see what's going to happen with him. I remember a year ago, I spoke to Dana White. It was actually before the, uh, the card you were on. Uh, 217, yeah. I think it was. Um, he said that he thought Francis Ngannou was going to be the next huge star in the UFC. And I don't think he was alone in thinking that. I'm, not, you know, I'm certainly not trying to slag Dana White for saying that. Um, yeah. Because I think a lot of people thought that. I know we did an end-of-year show, and a lot of us said that we thought Ngannou was going to be the heavyweight champion uh, at the end of the year. But um, it's amazing what a year will do. With just two losses, and he's, he's right in the doghouse. You know, 
thing is, I remember when we did that interview, I was telling you about the heavyweight division because I remember you were telling me he's only been fighting for three years or whatever, and he came to the top. But the heavyweight division is probably the most brutal division in the sense of it's not always the better fighter who wins. You know, and, and I don't mean that in a bad way. I just mean, like, even if you compare MMA to boxing, you know, like boxing, the better boxer has a higher chance of winning than the better fighter in in the UFC, you know, because there, there's so many more ways to win and there's so many d- different ways to get exposed and there's just the elbows, the knees, the forearms, the gloves, you know, up kicks. Like, there's so many weird ways you can win a fight. Like, even the Derek, Derek Lewis's fight before the, the DC fight. Yeah, Volkov, yeah. Like, yeah, to me, he was losing. Like, he was losing bad. Like, I didn't see how he was going to win unless he got, like, one strike KO. And lo and behold, he ended up getting it, you know? But uh, that's the UFC is a brutal... Not UFC, but MMA is a brutal, unforgiving sport. You know, it's it's hard to always look good all the time. That's why guys like, you know, to me, Demetrius Johnson deserves the utmost respect for being, having such an amazing career for so long. Jose Aldo, George St. Pierre, Anderson, so like... All these things have been up forever, like for years and years. Like you gotta, you gotta show them so much respect because they didn't fall into those, you know, one-shot losses all the time. You know, it happens so rarely. And almost every MMA great has a loss on their record. It's not like boxing where you can retire undefeated. Although I do think that guys like Khabib and Askren have a shot of retiring undefeated, depending on what happens next with them. Yeah, even Khabib fight with McGregor, man. There's a couple of times where my my heart was in my throat because I thought, you know, that one strike from Connor was going to land and he was inches away or just got deflected. And, you know, it could it could have went Connor's way. Like, I wouldn't say, you know, Connor didn't have a chance at all. There was, he had a striking every time they stood up. I thought even the first knee, you know, it was a good thing that Khabib's head was on the other side. He could have got knocked out immediately. Well, it is, pretty, yeah, it is pretty amazing how far Curtis and uh, Naganu have come since they first fought. I mean, they're both right at the top of the division now. And as you mentioned, if, you know, Francis had been training for about three years when he started. And Curtis Blades was training at a UFC gym franchise in Chicago twice a week. Yeah. Wow. Before That's that crazy. fight. Yeah. That, yeah, the heavyweight division is insane to me how fast you can get to the top. There's just not that many guys. Or, I don't know, if it's just it's so easy for them to knock each other out, to roll the dice, because they're so much bigger, man. It's, they have so much more power, you know, and I don't know how much more their chins can take compared to other guys. There's just too much power in that weight class. Well, that's what, uh, when I spoke to Curtis's agent, uh, Rick Guerrero, he had mentioned yeah. to me that with heavyweights, like you mentioned, the lighter weight classes, you need to fight for years to get into the UFC. Whereas, yeah. like, the background that Blades had was as an NJ, uh, NJCAA uh, wrestling champion. So he was a collegiate junior college wrestling champion. Had okay. very little striking skills. In fact, when I spoke to his coaches, they said that his striking skills were a 0 out of 10 in that first fight with Francis. That's how bad it was. They said his footwork was terrible. They said he was moving yeah. towards Francis's power hand. And he was yeah. able to get to the UFC undefeated in amateur and professional using simply wrestling. Like, just that was his one skill. Yeah. And he got there in, like, two years, two, three years. Yeah, definitely, man. It is a, it's the, one of the harder divisions to stay in. Healthy for a long time. Like, look at isn't Stipe have the record for like the longest title defenses in heavyweight yeah, or something? Three, and it's like three. Yeah, yeah. that's ridiculous. How many does Abusus Johnson have? Like ten, eleven? I don't even know. Yeah, exactly. It's it's along those lines. Yeah, I think it's it was eleven. Triple, literally triple the length. You know, it, it, it's it's nuts. But just they hit so much harder. You know, and, and their their skulls aren't that much more dense. Their necks aren't that much. You know, that much more strong to be able to withstand so many shots. Yeah, you don't see a lot of it. I mean, there are the exceptions. Like Alexei Olenek's been <laughs> doing it for like 20 years. like 70 fights under his belt as a heavyweight. More of a grappler at heavyweight, but still, you're still getting knocked out. So it is yeah, yeah, It yeah. is interesting to see guys. I mean, a lot of them just don't have 
prolonged careers. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I agree with that wholeheartedly. Even like one of the best heavyweights is Cain um, Velasquez, man. Unfortunately, always has injuries. You know, it sucks. You know, and there was the one time he lost to um, what's that Brazilian guy's name? We knocked him out for the first Fox card. Verdum. Oh, uh, Dos Santos knocked him out. Dos Santos, yeah. And like it was like a one punch thing. And I, you know, I thought Cain was going to win that fight. Like, you know, if I'm going to be honest, you know, and that's nothing to say bad about Dos Santos. Well, I mean, just, look at Dos the look at the fights afterwards between those two, and the, I don't think you were yeah. wrong. I mean, Cain blew him out of the water in the next two fights. Yeah, yeah, exactly, exactly. And uh, you know, and it's just crazy how one punch can change anything in a fight. Like, you know, even for me, like that's why I, like, I try not to sweat my last fight too much. And I really feel like even the striking in general, I wasn't losing it. But the most important strike I got hit with. You know, I made a mistake, and he did the right thing, and then boom, I was out. Well, that sucks, but uh, that's life, man. That's, that's fighting in MMA. Well, finally, did you see the Yair, Yair Rodriguez knockout? Do you think that's the best knockout in the I history of combat saw, sports? I only saw the, the knockout. Oh, you didn't watch the whole fight? The whole fight. I didn't get the, the same feeling, I'm sure, if somebody watched every second of that fight. But, man, that's got to be one of the lowest probability knockouts in MMA history in any show. Like, having a war for that many, for that many rounds, and then in the last second of the last round to last that specific elbow that'll never happen again it just it just will never happen again <laughs> i think it's pretty fair to say and that's i think he's going to get knockout of the year but. well let alone i mean i don't think that knockout that that exact knockout will ever happen again regardless of time in the in the fight like i don't think you'll see that again in the ufc where a guy throws an up elbow like that a no look up elbow hits the guy right on the chin going forward and, and is able to finish a guy at any point in time in a fight that's how that's how crazy it was you know i feel like and it's not taking anything away from the area, but he threw the elbow. But a big part of the knockout was uh, zombies, you know, walking over. He overstepped. Like, he, he put his chin ahead of his feet. You know, like, he did a few mistakes in it so that knockout could happen as well, you know. And, you know, if guys learn the lesson of not, you know, not falling into that trap, yeah, it can definitely go away. But, you know, he said cowboys threw it a lot. And that one, I, I saw somebody put on Instagram a video of cowboy actually throwing it in his fight. Imagine Cowboy gets it in his next fight, crazy. Well, I mean, I think that yeah, your knockout is example A of what you're talking about, where in MMA, really anything can happen at any time. It's a, a far more volatile environment. Yeah, exactly. All right, Eamon, it's always great catching up with you. Um, uh, congratulations again on your family uh, growing with the, with the two girls, and uh, I'm happy to see... Uh, Congrats on your newborn as well, man. Thank you. You know, it's uh, having a girl changes things. That's a game changer for us. Yeah, no, girls are great. Now they're gonna love their fathers forever. You're gonna have them take care of you. That's for sure. I hope so. All right, Eamon. Thanks again. We'll talk to you soon. Hopefully, I'll, I'll catch up with you in Toronto if you're here. Yeah, I'll see you in Toronto, man. Have a good trip. Have right. a good one. That was Eamon Zahabi on the TSN MMA show. Always love speaking to Eamon. He's got a good head on his shoulders. That kid. I like that guy. Has twins. That can't be easy. But it seems like he's got them. He's got them in check. He's got them sleeping ten hours a night. He told me. I'm je- very jealous of that man. So I. Uh, Always a pleasure catching up with him, and he'll be in Toronto, UFC 230, coming up very, very soon. Not 230, 231? 231, how about that? Coming up very, very soon. Great card. Great, great, great card. Holloway versus Ortega. Shevchenko versus Joanna. We'll have you covered all week here on TSN. Robin Black joining our team uh, as as per usual for these big cards. Even Dutchie's joining uh, joining the, the fray for this one again. I think Dutchie's getting hooked on uh, on MMA. Guy looks like he should be competing in MMA. Guy's jacked. I think he's older than Chuck Liddell though, so that that might might be might not be easy.
to uh, to sell that to people. But either way, I think this card from top to bottom is really, really stacked. I mean, the first first fight on the card on Fight Pass is John Magdesi versus Carlos Diego Fejeja. That's a great fight. Great fight. So uh, I really like this card. I think it's uh, been really good. It's, it's, it's a really good card. I, I'm interested to see who Moicano ends up fighting because uh, Mirsad Bektik had to uh, pull out of the card. And hopefully they're looking for a really high-level opponent to take on Moicano because uh, I think... I think Moicano is a really, really solid fighter. And if he's going to be the backup for a championship, they obviously have to think that he's that kind of caliber and should find an uh, opponent accordingly. So I know I uh, normally give my picks with Joe. He's not here. But I'll I'll chuck a couple your way anyways that uh, I'm looking at for this uh, fight card in Beijing, China. Late, late, late Friday night or early, early, early Saturday morning, however you want to look at it. The uh, the things that I, I like uh, are Curtis Blades inside the distance, Song Yudong inside the distance, and I'd say you take a flyer on Jessica Aguilar against uh, Weili Zhang. Weili Zhang is good. He's a very good fighter. But Aguilar was like a champion for a long time in the World Series of Fighting, fighting really good fighters. Her losses are to Claudia Gadelia and Courtney Casey. Those are not bad losses. She's just going to have a lot more experience in terms of who she's fought, like just just a higher level of competition across the board. And uh, you look at, at Weili Zhang, and uh, she's got a really good record, 17-1. and one. But her one win is over Danielle Taylor, who's not with the organization anymore. And then you look at who she beat before that. Her previous opponent to get into the UFC was a 7-8 and eight fighter. It's just not fighting a lot of people that you'll have heard of. None of them are UFC caliber in terms of who she's faced, at least that they've that's made it to the UFC. So that's that's an interesting one. I think when you see Jessica Aguilar is nearly four to one underdog against somebody who has not fought a high level of competition, you gotta jump on that. So that's uh, that's what I like there. But uh, I think that uh if Blades gets a win in this event, you gotta give the guy a title shot next. Either that or you have him fight Stipe for an interim title if if you know if Cormier is going to be fighting his last fight against Jones, or even if it's not for an interim title, I mean, yeah, you know what, make it for an interim title, because if DC is going to walk away, then that person could just become the uh, undisputed champion. But I think Blades should fight Stipe. Interesting thing about Blades and Stipe is that Blades actually has trained with Stipe in the past. This is kind of another little-known thing. In preparation for Gabriel Gonzaga years ago, Blades was still an amateur, and they brought him in to be a big body in camp. And from uh, from what I've been told, Blades actually looked good against him in the wrestling back then. I mean, Blades, again, was an NJCAA national champion. But uh, in the striking, he was completely outclassed by Stipe. Now, nowadays, who knows? Stipe's gotten older. Blades has gotten way, way better. Anything can happen in this sport, as uh, Eamon and I just discussed. Uh, so we'll see how that one plays out. Two heavyweight fights. You never know what's going to happen in those uh, that particular weight class. Very volatile. And um, we'll uh, we'll catch up next week. Joe's gone for a little while. He's uh, he's right now. He's in Peterborough, Ontario. Lovely Peterborough. Then uh, next week, he is in uh, New York. Oh, sorry, he's in Vegas training at the PI. And then the week after that, he's going uh, going out and doing glory in Amsterdam for their year-end card. So uh, we're gonna miss Joe for the next couple weeks. I always love having Joe here. Pick his brain. But uh, you know, it is what it is. The man's got a job. Man's got glory fights to call, and uh, 
martial arts seminars to teach. Doesn't sit at a computer like I do. So uh, we'll we'll uh, talk next week. We'll preview uh, the UFC cards in Adelaide as well as the Ultimate Fighter finale. Hold on a second. Before we go, I just want to talk about the Ultimate Fighter because the two heavyweights are now, the heavyweight finale is now um, in place. And if you look at who's on that, who's in the finale, I mean, these are two guys that I don't think have a very, very good future uh, in, in, this, uh, in the UFC. If you look at the guys that came out of the first season of uh, the first heavyweight season of the Ultimate Fighter, there were a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, good fighters. That uh, came out of it, but looking at, at what they what you have now, you got Justin the Grizzly Bear Frazier. He's a ten and two fighter. He's only twenty nine, so he's kind of he's younger than I thought he was. But he was a guy that when the they they started doing workouts for the uh, for the teams, he couldn't get through it. He got gassed. He couldn't continue. He was picked last overall on the show, and he's the guy who made the finals. It's crazy. And then you uh, you look at uh, his opponent, Juan Francisco Espino. I think they call him Juan Espino. And he's like 37. He had a really good one-two combo against uh, the, the crochet boss, Maurice Green, uh, in the last uh, the last one. And then we've got the last episode next week. It's Leah, uh, Leah Letson versus uh, Macy uh, Chason. I've been watching the show. I've watched the whole season. And uh, the level of competition is just not very high, I would say, in terms of... Uh, in terms of how competitive these fighters are, I think the the women's featherweights. I mean, I think some of them have a good future in the UFC, but in terms of the heavyweights, you know, like uh, the guys that they found on um, Dana White Contender Series, a lot of them are just way like if you would have had those guys on the show, he could have had a really good heavyweight pool. But now it's pretty watered down, so I just don't know how good the winner of uh, Frazier and uh, Espino has. You know, if they're going to be top ten guys ever. I have enjoyed watching uh, Penny Kanzad in her last fight against uh, Julia Stolyarenko from uh, Lithuania, I believe. That was a good fight. That was a, that might have been the best fight of the season. And I think Penny is probably going to end up coming out of the uh, the women's uh, featherweight bracket. Although Leah Letson's pretty good too if she ends up beating Chase on. So that's it. So we'll uh, we'll have that uh, finale uh, to to preview next week. I don't know what other fights are going to be on that card. Uh, the only one. From the season that is now officially announced is uh, that uh, Espino versus um, Frazier fight. But given that there are only um, twelve fights announced right now, it looks like, or there's, sorry, there are already twelve fights announced right now. Or is that twelve or nine? I'm oh, sorry, there's nine fights announced right now. So with nine fights, that means there's room for four more. So I'm guessing you'll probably see one more men's fight and one more uh, women's fight on top of the other uh, finale the, for the finalists. So that could be interesting. And uh, hopefully I can provide you with some insight on that if you if you have not yet watched the show. So that's uh, that's next week. There's that, and then there's uh, UFC Adelaide, and we'll, uh, we'll talk about both those. So thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. Thanks for listening to the TSN MMA Show. For all the latest UFC news, visit tsn.ca slash UFC.